0: Hey everybody, welcome to the show. That's right, I preempted the intro. I'm cool like that. Welcome to Electric Leftovers. I'm Jason. Hi. Everybody say hi and wave. You guys are great. Uh, It's the show. We got a lot to talk about this week, and it's not all just movie stuff, though there is almost an hour of movie coming up at the end of the show. Just giving you a warning. It's a romping good time in 1920s Germany. You betcha. Uh, New stuff. There's so much new stuff because Jade added all of his new stuff. And wowie wowie. Wowie wowie, wowie. zowie. Let's see. What do we got? Last show is on the 15th. So since the 15th, uh, Jade brings us Space Quest 2. Final Fantasy 5, Mega Man X3, Shantae, risky, re, Risky's Revenge, excuse me, Final Fantasy IV: The After Years. I have put up the finale of Metal Storm, and Scarlet has brought us some Wolfenstein, The New Order, and Doom 3, The Lost Mission. We've got some new music from me over there, which nobody cares about. Our Mystery Science Theater is First Spaceship on Venus, which, let me tell you, if you're looking for good sci-fi, look look no farther, friends. This is this is the time. Now is the hour. Uh, everybody knows your name. Uh, I don't remember all the words to that song. Anyway, that was my headphones hitting the microphone. Sorry. Uh, that doesn't sound like a whole lot of stuff. I mean, Jade, ton of stuff from Jade, which is great. I give you a thumbs up over audio, buddy. It makes a noise. Listen real close. Um, mostly the new stuff I want to talk about is directly related to the show. I've been readding a lot of the old episodes onto YouTube and getting them back into the forums to give you guys an easier way to uh, comment on the episodes, find the episodes, and all that. Because um, while being able to aggregate it and put it on TuneIn and iTunes and all this stuff on uh, you know your phones, whatever is really great, uh, you can't comment on anything really from there. Uh, SoundCloud was an option, but they want money. Um, Spreaker to get it on like iHeartRadio, same thing. I can, you know, I can have like two hours of content. Uh, I used to put all the videos on Vimeo, do you remember? And the reason I stopped was because I have an hour time limit and I used it, in, you know, fairly quickly did I use that some episodes. Um, what we got going on with the show here's what's happening this morning uh, i set up a facebook for the show electric leftovers on facebook and it's a public group anybody can join anybody can post whatever whatever Um, i'm going to be adding a couple of episodes a week just to kind of get them backlogged over there Um, however they're just going to be like links to the youtube videos so there's that and we're on Twitter now, too. Uh, Twitter proper electric leftovers. Um, you can either just search for electric leftovers, or if you want to do the at thing, it's elect leftover. E-L-E-C-T leftover. Because, you know, Twitter doesn't let you have all the things you want. I mean, the president can do whatever he wants to do, but I can't have my name. No. And uh, some of the other options, you know, oh, that's taken, you should try this. That's too long, you should try this. We're really terrible. So we didn't go with that. And I know this one isn't great, but it's what we got. Uh, so Facebook, Twitter, um, I've updated all the contact information on the website. So if you are watching the show, listening to the show on the website itself, um, over there in the little sidebar, you can uh, just click, click and it'll take you to the things you need to go to. Um, What else? Uh, Still looking for somebody who might be interested in doing some basic little pixel, sprite art kind of things. Um, We got 123 episodes counting this one, and I want a custom little thumbnail for each and every one. Speaking of 123 episodes, uh, another big part of the news, when we moved hosts from Arvix or, uh, you know, uh, Mrs. Reedy's junior high classes attempted running a web hosting service to Kevin.com, which is not what it's called. But that's what I call it, because also no related relation to that other .com guy who's like in prison. Um, a lot of episodes got lost. And, uh, that's bad. We don't like that episodes got lost. Um, thankfully, I was able to pull some from Vimeo. I found a couple kicking around, um, just old hard drives here at the at the house. And Coolio has a bunch, so we should be able to get that sorted. And speaking of Kevin.com, I'm going to be getting a hold of him to see what we can do. There's some problems with the podcast software I use, Podcast Generator, not speaking, it, it's like it has a really thick accent and the server can't quite understand what I want it to do with the dates. So not all of the dates on the on the listing are correct. So if you start seeing things in your aggregators and all that that you've seen before or don't look right, um I'm trying to get the dates cleaned up so they can actually appear in the order in which they were released in and, and not be like Here's episodes one through four, and here's 17, 18, 35, and here's episode six, and here's episode nine, and... Because that's kind of how it is now. I don't know how it sorted it, so that's how it sorted it. Anyway, that's all the new stuff. I'm going to put some shoes on, because I have to go to work. Um, going to drink this coffee while I do that, and uh, when I come back later today... I do some more with this? Oh, be on the lookout, by the way. Um, new stuff video-wise coming for me, because all of my current projects are done. I need to get on some new projects, so I'm gonna try and pound out some videos, like, with a hammer and an anvil out of a sheet of iron. It's a thin sheet. It's not, you know, we're not talking steel girders here, but something that i can work with my hands um all that's coming up so keep an eye on that i'm working on some requests i'm working on some new stuff some series stuff i've been really slacking on that dragon warrior final fantasy thing which i knew would happen as soon as i got to the playstation stuff with final fantasy and dragon warrior 6 but i gotta i gotta figure it out i know how i'm gonna do it now it should be great uh so keep an eye It's, it's happening This has been a very long intro, I'm very sorry, it's gonna be a long episode. Now you can change the course of history with Genghis Khan II: Clan of the Grey Wolf. With a powerful stronghold in Asia, your sights are set on taking over the whole continent and maybe even the entire world. You can play as Genghis Khan, King John, Philip II, or 12 other gallant leaders as you engage in a battle for world domination. Recruit troops, deploy them in strategic locations, and get ready for battles of epic proportions as you lead your army to victory against other clans. There are 16 different units to choose from, including knights, samurai, and even elephants. So assemble your army carefully, taking the terrain and type of battles into consideration. If you think you're ready to rule the world, then get your hands on Genghis Khan 2, Clan of the Grey Wolf, and prove it. And that's the back of the box for Genghis Khan 2, Clan of the Grey Wolf for the Super Nintendo. This is one of them historical simulations by Koei. Uh, And uh, a game I picked up, I think for like five bucks, just somewhere. Like, oh, this looks good. I'll get it, five dollars, sure. And um, it's pretty fun, not gonna lie. I mean, if you're into micromanaging and all that kind of stuff, it's a lot of fun. It's not for everybody though. Uh, I played through the Mongol Conquest scenario and up through the Genghis Khan scenario until I died. Spoiler alert, uh, we game over. Um, but it's a good game. Uh, if you're into that, like I said, kind of population control, micromanagey kind of thing, it's a good game. Uh, I've got one of the Romance of the Three Kingdoms games, and I actually like this one better. It's not bad. Uh, If you just need something to put on to listen to, this is okay. Don't expect any action, though, because the battles take forever and I cut them out. Time to read the review. Let's go find one, shall we? No, I don't want to take your survey. Thanks, please. Well, not many to pick from. We got a total of six. Um, This game got about a three and a half out of five, just in general voting on GameVax. The reviews pretty much follow along with that. I got a couple of fours, a couple of four and a halves, and this one. Blah, a G.I. Joe a real American hero review by Casket Darkfire the only word of that that is spelled appropriately is dark taking the name from the uh, festival fire clearly so let's see if the review falls apart like that did Uh, the formatting looks good so doesn't mean much does it I remember the days of playing with the little Jiggy Joe figures and creating little wars in which everyone was fried to death with hairspray and a lighter. Then I came across this. Oh, you're that kid from Toy Story. Then I came across this title on the NES and decided that I would take a look and see if it was as much fun as the little wars I used to have. Only to find that it didn't quite hit the mark. Featuring some of the better known characters from the Joe world, you must stop the evil forces of Cobra and save the world from a terrorist plot. Even though the game really isn't any different that the rest of the action genre that the NES has to offer, there are instances of fun and excitement, even though they are short-lived. If you're a fan of the Joe world, watched the cartoons, and saw the animated movie, then you'll find that this game is up your alley. However, if you're looking for a game that has depth and moderate challenge, then you're looking at something that doesn't hit the mark, and is rather a fill-in for games such as Ghosts and Goblins. The gameplay is your standard side-scrolling action game in which you take control of one of the Joe team and try to stop the forces of Cobra from some fiendish plot. The storyline is so overdone that you really don't pay attention to it while the action is going on during the game. However, the action here is more or less being able to get through the various stages while going up against boss characters and keeping your team alive. When I say team, you have control of five characters, each of them with their own strengths and apparent weaknesses, even though I can't find them. That's in parentheses, but he used curly brackets instead of parentheses. And you'll find that the game is about as hard as you make it depending on how you tackle the stages. The game stages really don't have any other mission to them other than make it from uh, one end of the stage to the other. The enemies that you encounter throughout are nothing more than pop up and shoot them. There are power-ups scattered through the stages, and once you've collected enough for one particular character, then becomes a badass killing machine. You don't have to worry about getting iced for the rest of the game. Not sure about the rest of you, but this seems like something that is way too easy to accomplish through successful exploration, and you'll find that there is nothing more than generic action thrown in as an afterthought. Controlling your characters takes a little more than some practice and patience with the NES controller. You attack with one button, jump with another, with nothing special that you have to do throughout the game. As far as action games go, you won't have anything too complicated that you have to figure out or perform, but you'll find that the game also lacks some sort of specialty that action games need to separate them apart from one another. You'll find that jumping and maneuvering the game through the stages can be a test in patience with the ghost control that the NES offers up. This is a common element of problems with the interface, and although it doesn't appear constantly, it appears enough in the wrong places to make you take notice. Visually, the game is flat and lacks the amount of visual detailing that you would expect out of a good action game. Giving the NES some credit, you'll find that the stages are expansive, although slightly less detailed, and the characters seem to have some difference between them. However, you'll find that the game has a color scheme that is hard on the ice and really doesn't do the game justice in the way the characters you use and the enemies you fight against look. This is something that will stick in the gamer's mind if they're looking for a good action, and even though the game features some of the better known characters in the Joe world, it just doesn't do the series any sort of justice. In some cases, there's a noticeable slowdown and image breakup, so be prepared for that when the action becomes a little too intense for the NES hardware. Audio wise, the game fails in trying to deliver the feeling of action and adventure by leaving you with audio tracks that really don't variate from the original theme. Although this is an example of a second-generation NES game, there's still plenty to be said for giving the gamer something a little more than generic action music. The audio effects also fall to the wayside with generic gunshots and explosions, so you're really not hearing anything you haven't heard before. If you throw all of this together, you'll find that the game doesn't offer much other than the standard, and in my own view, doesn't give me the ability to truly experience the world of G.I. Joe. Overall, this is a... he likes that word... This is a standard action game that doesn't offer much to the gamer other than a different set of characters. There are some different aspects of the game that allow you some variation from the norm, but they are so few and far between that you'll probably miss them your first time through. The control needs work, as well as the dull visuals and an inspired audio to make for a rather average game that doesn't leave you with anything that you'll remember five minutes after the game has been shut off. If you're a fan of the G.I. Joe series, then you'll find that this game is a massacre of the theme, and if you're an action gamer, it's nothing you haven't played before and won't play again. Collectors should be wary of picking up this title, but if you're into collection games and you already have Atlantis Factor, then you might as well pick this one up and add to the pile as well. Reviewers are hitting two! Two. Um... I'm just gonna hit the end of this first. Uh, if you have Atlantis Factor, I didn't know anybody that had this game. I don't know anybody that had even heard of Atlantis Factor. It was the sequel and was not as good as this. Um so his problem with G.I. Joe is that it's a straightforward action game, and then he compares it at least once to Ghouls and Ghosts, Ghosts and Goblins, excuse me. Um which was also a pretty standard action game and much less playable. And this is not Super we're talking about. This is the NES one, I'm supposing. Uh, not nearly as playable as G.I. Joe. Now, I don't think G.I. Joe is a great, amazing game and, oh my goodness, should get four or five stars on everything. But it's a very solid action game from not a very big company. It was developed by a company called Kid and produced by Taxan. Kid didn't do much... Um, up until like the Saturn came around, they did a ton of stuff for the Saturn. Uh, they got a bunch of stuff for the PS2, but it's all like um, looking at the game list. It just looks like it's all like pocket puzzly game kind of stuff. Uh, they did Rockin' Ball for the NES. They had Bri Fighter Deluxe for the uh, Game Boy. Low G-Man was one of theirs, G.I. Joe, Max Warriors, Master of Weapon for the Genesis, Banana Prince for the NES, might have to find that, Kick Max, Kick Master, excuse me, was them, um, I'm looking through here and trying to find names that might be familiar and... Can Can Bunny Premiere just isn't one that says, Oh yeah, everybody I went to school with had that game in 1996. Or Six Inch My Darling for, for the Saturn in 98. Uh, little Monster, that's the thing. What, what I'm trying to say is Kid has made... More games than I thought they made, but looking at the list of games, a lot of them are Japan only. Uh, Ever 7 came out in America, Colorful Box, those are PC games. PC, Japan, 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 Japan. The last North American release they had was Red Forest. Um, everything else is just strictly Japan. And Taxan, the people who published this game, they've been around a lot longer. Uh, Mappy Land was theirs. Fist of the North Star, the really terrible NES game. Uh, eight Eyes, Burai Fighter, Logi Man, uh, Magician. They were going to put out Puttmaster, but it was cancelled. I mean, way less games than Kid ended up developing, which I thought would have been the other way around. Um, Taxen was around from 89 to 91, apparently, and did 4, 8, 11 games. So, you know, I mean, some good games. Burai Fighters good. 8 Eyes is pretty good. Loji man is great. Mappy Land is a classic. Star Soldier was them. Mystery Quest, which... Have I played Mystery Quest? Show me a screenshot. It looks kind of like Mario Brothers and Mappy Land. Don't think I've played that. Might have to. It's by Carry Lab. And Taxi. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is... The two companies that made this game at the time were just kind of trying to figure out what they were doing. And they came up, I think, with a really great twist on your normal action shooter game by giving you the option to pick a team and swap between them basically on the fly throughout the course of the stage. Now, what Basket Case Darkfire here... um, doesn't talk about is any of the characters any of the stages nothing and so that's why I'm here the stages are kind of split up like this you get a briefing and then uh, commander headgear I don't remember what his name is says "Uh, blizzard you will be in charge of this team because it's in the arctic makes sense blizzard's the commando who is trained to handle that kind of stuff And then you pick two more people from the remaining, like, four or five. And then you go to the stage. And your first bit is just a standard, straight, horizontal scrolling infiltration. You go from the left side of the screen to the right side of the screen. Sometimes you go from the bottom to the top. Sometimes you go from the top to the bottom. It's basically get from point A to point B, kill anything in your way. You know, Mega Man style, right? That's a bad thing. Contra style, that's a bad thing. Can't have games like those games. Um, after you've done that, the second part of the stage is you place bombs. You've got to you gotta place these time bombs. This is much more mazy exploration. Uh, Think kind of if Legacy of the Wizard was contained to one room that is multiple screen sizes you know so you can't leave the room but it's a very big room you gotta find checkpoints you gotta put bombs on the checkpoints when you have put all the bombs on the checkpoints that ends that segment of the stage you fight another boss then the third part of the stage is get out before the bombs explode the action is a lot like the first half except the time limit is much more important now not like Metroid get out of the planet important but it's important then you fight the boss of that stage meanwhile the entire time you're like i said killing enemies you're finding power-ups you can power up your weapons um because your initial guns are really pretty crappy you can power up you can increase your health um you got to pick up ammo for your guns you have a melee attack you have a ranged weapon attack you've got grenades Every character can jump higher, or do more melee damage, or has better guns, or better health. I mean, everybody is really unique and individual. Now, by way of powering up, you can get pretty much everybody to, like, the same health and that kind of stuff. But, uh, Rock and Roll can't jump. Snake Eyes can jump really high. Rock and Roll has a really powerful gun. Snake Eyes has, like, the worst melee- or ranged attack, excuse me, in the whole game but it doesn't take bullets. And he also has the best melee attack because he's got a sword. I mean, I don't want to make the game sound like it's super in-depth and you've got to really plan this stuff out because you really don't. But there's a lot more to it than um, Kate Firedark here is... uh, That's his World of Warcraft name. um, is, Is giving the game credit for. I think it's a really good game it's it's better than a two i don't know if i'd go a four, three three and a half maybe he's right about the graphics they're not pretty i don't know how he can say the soundtrack's not very good you heard it last week that's pretty good stuff i mean some of that is yeah action music and i don't even like gi joe that much Time for the news. Let's read the news. Our lead story, advertisers are coming for you. That's right. I'm going to read it for you. The New York Times reported in May that the sophistication of Google's and Facebook's ability to identify potential customers of advertisements is capable of targeting ads so narrow that they can pinpoint, say, Idaho residents in long distance relationships who are contemplating buying a minivan. Facebook's ad manager told The Times that such a description matches 3,100 people out of Idaho's 1.655 million. That's a very specific breakdown just to leave off the trailing decimals. Uh, They're also not supposed to sell your stuff, but Google's getting in trouble over selling some of your stuff. And Facebook's always in trouble for something, so take that as you will. The government in action, folks. Harry Kramer, 76, owner of Sparkles Cleaning Service in London, Ontario, was alone in his SUV recently and decided to light up a cigarette based on his 60-year habit. But was spotted by smoke-free Ontario officers and cited for three violations. Since his vehicle was registered to his business and the windows were up, the cab constituted an enclosed workspace. took a long legal fight, but it made the Provincial Offenses Court cut Kramer a break and dismissed the tickets. That's a little overreach, I feel. U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the FWS, finally prevailed in Federal Appeals Court in February in its Endangered Species Act designation that wetlands in Louisiana's St. Tama- Tammany excuse me Tammany Parish should be preserved as a safe habit for the dusky gopher frog. Oh, is it a frog who looks like a gopher? Is it a gopher who looks like a frog? And is it the color of sunset? Mm, we may never know. Landowners, barred from developing the land, pointed out that no such frogs have been spotted there for decades, but have been seen elsewhere in the state and in Mississippi. The Fish and Wildlife Service concluded that St. Tammany area could be a place that dusky gopher frogs might thrive if they decided to return. They also might thrive in St. Petersburg, but I don't believe that's true. The job of the researcher and from the abstract of California State Polytechnic, that's CSP, since we're into acronyms or abbreviations today. Assistant Professor Teresa Laurel Bedart. Bedart? By Dart. In an April academic paper comparing behaviors of native California western gray squirrels and disruptive to residents' trash cans, eastern fox Squirrel, says, quote... I juxtapose feminist post-human theories and feminist food studies scholarship to demonstrate how Eastern fox squirrels are subjected to gendered, racialized, and speciesist thinking in the popular news media as a result of their feeding and eating practices, and their unique and unfixed spatial agreements in the greater Los Angeles region. The case, quote, presents a unique opportunity to question and re-theorize the ontological given the otherness that manifests in part through a politics, quote, in which animals food choices stand in for compliance and resistance to the dominant forces in human culture. Just gotta let the squirrels dig in your trash can. Don't assume that squirrels race. I guess, I don't know. The continuing crisis in Japan Uh, its constant conflict over whether to become more military robust concern increasingly with North Korea even though the constitution requires a low profile of only self-defense. When the country's defense minister recently suggested placing females into combat roles constitutional law professor Ishigeki um, Ijima strongly objected initiating the possibility that Japan's enemies might have bombs capable of blowing off women's uniforms, exposing their bodies. The ridicule was swift, wrote one. I saw something like that in Dragon Ball, from a popular comic book and TV productions of Japanese anime. Good to know that ministers in Japan watch Dragon Ball. Or bad to know. Probably bad to know. And taking it too far, already trendy restaurants have offered customers dining experiences amidst roaming cats. And in one bold experiment, owls. But the Art House San Francisco Dungeon has planned a two-day, July 1st and 8th, experimental rat cafe. For those who feel their coffee or tea is better sipped, while rats from the local rat rescue scurry about the room. Pastries are included for $49.99 each, uh, price. Excuse me expecting each but the rats will be removed before the food comes sponsors promise at least 15 minutes of rat interaction some uh, and the price includes admission to the dungeon well, there you go what does the uh, the health department have to say about this idea I wonder some bright ideas organizers of northern Germany's Wacken open air festival yep Built as the world's biggest metal music extravaganza, thus the Wacken, expect the 75,000 attendees to drink so much beer that they have built a nearly four-mile-long pipeline to carry 105,000 gallons to on-site taps. Otherwise, keg delivery trucks would likely muck up the grounds. Some pipes were buried specifically for the August 3rd to 5th festival, but others had been used by local farmers for ordinary irrigation. If the Germans can get a beer pipeline to work, why can't we get an oil pipeline to work? Smooth reactions, folks. Robert A. Horner, 57, who apparently, just to, quote, win an argument with his wife, who was dissatisfied with her sex life, left the room with his 9mm semi-automatic and fired four shots at his penis. As he said later, quote, if I'm not using it, I might as well shoot it off. Of course, he missed, and police in Elkhorn, Wisconsin said no laws were violated. And in a lawsuit filed against an allegedly retaliating former lover, Columbia University School of Public Health professor Maddie Horning said her jilted boss tried repeatedly to harm her professional standing, even twice calling her into his office, dropping his trousers, and asking her professional opinion of the lesion on his buttock. Some fine points. Oh, yeah, we're just gonna skip over that. Some fine points of the law. Convicted murderer John Modi, 59, remains locked up on an 18-to-life sentence. But his several hours-long 2016 escape attempt from Hawking, Ohio, correctional institution, wound up unpublishable because of a technicality. In May 2017, the judge, lamenting the inflexible law, found Modi not guilty of the escape because pr- prosecutors had, despite numerous opportunities failed to identify the county in which Hawking Correctional Institution is located and thus did not prove that element of the crime, i.e. that the court in Logan, Ohio, had jurisdiction in the case. Note to prosecutors, the county was Hawking. Some really unfortunate names in the news this week. A couple of bluffs called for you in May Charles Nichols III, 33, Facing charges in Cheatham County, Texas, of sex with a minor, originally was tagged with a fifty thousand dollar bail, until he told Judge Philip Maxey to perform a sex act upon him, and dared Maxey to increase the bail. That led to a new bond of a million dollars. Then, after further insubordination, ten million dollars, and so on, until the final bail ordered was fourteen million dollars. What do you think's going to happen in that situation? Hey, Judge! No, no, no! Oh. Clearly, sir, you're correct. No bail. You're free to go. That has never happened. Jose Cajon. Chacon, Chacon. Chacon, probably. I know a lot of people with that same last name. Everybody pronounces it differently. 39 was arrested in Riviera Beach, Florida, in May after allegedly shooting fatally a 41 year old acquaintance who had laughed at Chacon's first shot attempt, at which the gun failed to fire and taunted Chacon to try again. The second trigger pull worked. Our next couple of stories, optimistically entitled Drugs. Is there anything they can't do? Sheriff's deputies in Dade City, Florida nearly effortlessly arrested Timothy Brazel, 19, for trespassing in May. Brazel, high on methamphetamine, he said, attempted to commandeer a stranger's car by hot-wiring it but only by uselessly connecting the wires of a voltage meter, and even though the key was already in the car. According to the owner, the door locked was jammed on the inside and Brazil could not figure out how to open it. And on May 19th, Carl Webb and his wife left a nighttime barbecue festival in downtown Memphis and headed home. They drove 14 miles on an interstate highway before a police officer pulled them over to ask if Webb knew there was a body on his trunk. The man was clinging to the lip of the trunk, but was still unconscious, from drinking, and had to be jarred awake. And as if none of that mattered, here's some people with issues, or at least a person with issues. In May, Douglas Goldsbury, 45, was charged in the Omaha, Nebraska neighborhood of Elkhorn with paying prostitutes to do his erotic bidding. There is a term 75 times he used them according to a police report to strip bearing their breasts while standing on the front porch of his neighbors across the street while Goldsberry watched and masturbated. That's kind of weird. I'm going to give the cake guy from last week though. It's been one of the weirdest things. And just what's your motivation cake guy? Are you really hungry? You doing it to be a jerk? I have questions, cake guy. And our classic from December 2013, a slick talker. A young woman accosted by a robber on Washington DC's Capitol Hill in October told the man she was a low paid intern, but an intern for the National Security Agency and that within minutes of robbing her, the man would be tracked down by all seeing, all knowing NSA surveillance. She said later, reported the Washington Examiner, The man just, quote, looked at me and ran away, apparently empty-handed. That's what you get when I read the news for you. Everybody, I wanted to take just a quick second. Thank you all so much for listening to the show and to let you know how you can get in touch with the show. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Electric Leftovers on both places. You can call into the show, leave a message 1 800 871 9012, extension 700491 or you can email me, Jason at lowbiasgaming.net. Thanks very much. Appreciate you listening. Hello, people. It is movie time. Wow. Movie time, movie time party like a movie time party.
1: Oh, I don't know about
0: that. We're here this week to talk about the feel-good movie of 1931. Little film called M.
1: (laughs) We're here to talk about it a second time.
0: No, this is the first time here. (laughs) The first first time was here. Um, The people don't get it.
1: So yeah, they never watched, understand my work <laughs> We watched M This is a Fritz Lang movie He's a really well known uh, German director This was his first talkie First non-silent film uh, Starring Everybody's favorite Crazy person Peter Lorre
0: Peter Lorre who was a comedic actor up until this film
1: Uh, Peter Lorre who also as I was looking this movie up uh, had to flee Germany because he was an Austrian Jew so he left like two years after this movie was made
0: and thank goodness he did (laughs) I mean for many reasons but things
1: would not have gone well for him
0: pretty darn good actor yeah. And then who else would have Phil Hartman played in The Brave Little Toaster, if not Peter Lorre?
1: If you don't know who uh, Peter Lorre is, I highly suggest looking him up. But if you're familiar with Bugs Bunny cartoons, he is who they base the mad scientist with the bug eyes on. So that kind of gives you an idea.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe you've seen a little movie called Casablanca. I've heard some people have seen it. He's in that. Um, Maybe this one The Maltese Falcon. I hear some people are familiar with that film. He was in that. The Man Who Knew Too Much was kind of a thing. Um, The Big Circus was one he was in. Uh, He did a movie about Buster Keaton. Um,
1: That's what we should do should watch the Buster Keaton movies.
0: 2,000 Leagues Under the Sea, he was in that. Beat the Devil, he was in that. Casbah, My Favorite Brunette. The Chase, The Verdict, Three Strangers, uh, Hotel Berlin. Uh, the Conspirators, Arsenic and Old Lace, he was in that. Um, I love that movie. This is a great movie. Uh, man, I he, he didn't have a super long career. Um, he started in 1929. And he died in 1964. So he basically was in film for like half of his life. Uh, But in that half, he did a ton of things. 112 acting credits. Wow. In 30 years. And even like, if you haven't seen Arsenic and Old Lace, he is playing a parody of himself. Yeah. And just is brilliant at it and, and it's kind of the one of the running gags of the show. It was a Broadway play or an off Broadway it was it was a theater. It was a theatrical performance and Boris Karloff was in it. And the comment made about his character is he looks like Boris Karloff. Which is funny right because he was. Now, they couldn't get him for the film, but they left the joke in. And they kept Peter Laurie in the part as well. Anyway.
1: And if you haven't seen her as Nick in all days, you should just go watch it because it's amazing and Cary Grant's in it. Anyway.
0: One of the funniest movies you'll ever see in a long time. And one of my most quoted lines I'm Woodrow Wilson, go to bed.
2: (laughs) This is true.
1: She says it often. Often.
0: So, M, let me read you the box and by box i mean what it says on imdb when the police in a german city are unable to catch a child murderer other criminals join in the manhunt and it's pretty direct and to the point because this was germany and it was 1931 <laughs> you know the joke how many germans does it take to change a light bulb How many? One, because they are efficient and don't need a sense of humor.
1: Oh, that is also true. Yeah, um, so we watched this on a Sunday morning. And, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot of movies for me on a Sunday morning, uh, Jason can attest. But I usually sit catatonic on the couch until he brings me coffee. And even then, I probably don't speak a whole lot until I've at least had that cup.
0: That's her post-wake-up pre-nap time.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And I was just very relaxed. It was a very relaxed weekend. We'd had a really good time. And then we watched this movie I'd never seen it before, never heard of it before. Jason just said, we're going to watch this movie M. It's a German movie from 1931. Didn't tell me anything about it. Um, So to say the least, I was kind of shocked. Uh... It's about a child murderer in, I don't think they say Berlin, but Berlin I think is where it was filmed, or or where they say it is.
0: They do say a small town of four million people.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, a man that uh, kills little girls. So, it's... It, I mean, it's it's not stirring around; it dumps right
0: in. Now that being said, there's not really any violence in the film. It's not an action film. It's a it's a thriller. It's a mystery. It's a crime movie. Um, psychological thriller, maybe a little bit. Yeah. And there there's like one tiny chase and the guy gets pushed down some stairs and that's about it for action
1: yeah I mean it is definitely a I think we kind of talked about whether or not it it would be considered film noir because it's not really like detective-y but
0: it's, it's, it's kind of a oh what am I looking for it's like a melodrama almost yeah. I think that's probably the best way I could describe it. like a crime <clears throat> melodrama.
1: So, and then, um, the, one of the opening shots, um, not the opening shot, but very close to the opening shot is one of the more, I would say more famous film shots of all time. Uh, it's something that uh, Jason and I have seen cited often on a YouTube channel called FinnaPix that we both really like. Yeah. Uh, and I think they've mentioned it on every frame of painting as well. A uh, little girl with a bouncy ball walking through the street by herself, You know, la, off. Like coming
0: home from food. school or something.
1: Yeah, coming home from school and they keep kind of cutting to her her mother, um, like getting like dinner or lunch prepared for her to come home. And she comes to a light pole and there's a giant poster in, in German, uh, that says, you know, ten thousand what did we say, Deutschmark?
0: Yeah. Ten thousand marks. Uh,
1: 10,000 10, mark reward. Who is the murderer and you know it goes on in German and uh as she's standing there, the shot is kind of over her shoulder looking up at the poster and a silhouette comes over the poster and it's a man in a hat. And that's and then the next thing you see is hint some mysterious man buying her a balloon.
0: Yeah, he says something like, That's a very pretty ball you have. Yeah. And then it cuts away.
1: He is whistling uh, in the Hall of the Mountain King. Yep. And, um, uh, which comes into play later, I would say, uh, quite a bit, is a key thing to remember. And then it cuts to the balloon caught in some power lines.
2: And And then kind
1: of a, a patch of grass, and the ball kind of rolls onto the patch of grass and stops. Yeah, you don't handed. you don't
0: see anything, but the metaphor is not
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's all, pretty it's all obvious. German heavy handed. Yeah.
0: That's redundant. German yeah, and heavy handed.
1: Yeah. It I mean, it was a really heavy movie and uh not because it wasn't really well done and, and really pleasing to look at. I did almost fall asleep several times, but I blame that on the Sunday morning part of the story. But you know, it's not for the thing to part, I would say.
0: You you just have this thing where you fall asleep to good movies.
1: I have a thing where I just fall asleep during movies. They could be bad movies or good movies.
0: Mostly good movies.
1: <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it was it was very it's very um, cinematic. Obviously, uh, it's it's shot really well. Uh, the plot was really interesting and, and it's funny because Jason and I had watched on Friday night or attempted to watch Zodiac because Jason's never seen it but again, I fell asleep uh, and it actually shares some similarities with Zodiac
0: yeah um, our our murderer uh, sorry for the phone noise, I got a news alert there, um, since we're Recording this over the phone, any alerts I get are showing up in the show. I apologize. I'm trying to turn them off, but I can't turn them off while I'm in a call. I apologize. Uh, apparently, some news is happening. I don't know. I'll look at it later. Something to do with the health care bill. I don't know. Um, yeah, our, our murderer, we don't know who he is uh, for probably a third of the film we we kind of pick up pretty quick that it's peter laurie's character um hans because he's german so it has to be hans hans, hans beckert, beckert. yeah uh and he's writing a letter to the newspaper he's like you didn't publish my last letter um if you don't publish this one bad stuff's gonna happen which is almost exactly what happened in Zodiac. Now, if you don't know Zodiac, Zodiac based on actual events. This movie, apparently based on actual events as well. Uh, Zodiac, though, much more of like a fictionalized walkthrough of the events where M is like, here's a thing that's happened, and now we make a movie. Kind of close to it. Right. Uh, let's see. I pulled up um, Rotten Tomatoes because we looked at this last time. Uh, IMDB, 1, Excuse me, thousand people. Gave this an 8.4. I'm not going to tell you what I rated it just yet. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, the Critics' Choice, 51 critics, 100%. And out of 35,000 audience members, 95%. Probably making it the best-received movie we've watched for this show yet. I know Planet of the Apes was up there. This has that beat. I don't think so. Marky Mark losing his monkey was not as compelling. Sorry, Marky Mark. Not really sorry.
1: So, um, there are some really interesting kind of plot devices, I would I guess, is that the right term in the movie? Uh, in that, you know, these are trying to solve the crime, and they don't have much to go on. And they kind of say that there are, I think they said how many? Seven or eight? Seven or eight murders that they know of, but I don't think they ever say that they found any bodies.
0: Yeah, eight murders, I think, all together. Um no bodies, no leads, no nothing as far as they can figure it's a man in a hat if it is the 1930s and you are a man you are a suspect for everything because you had a hat right It's a bad time to be a cop because oh he was kind of an average height guy with a hat and a coat and if you're the cop you're like well that's me when I'm not at work
2: So,
1: they also, um, so kind of the idea is the cops are kind of dumbfounded and they don't have a lot to go on, and they're getting a lot of pressure from the general public as well as, uh, the, what did they say, the Minister of, like, Justice?
0: Something like that.
2: To, to
1: solve the murder. So they kind of start putting putting it down on the like the underworld like the pimps and the homeless guys and beggars and <clears throat> they start kind of rousing them because they can't imagine that this is anybody but like a vagrant.
0: Yeah. So well the they're hitting the gambling the, halls and the, yeah, the brothels so and the, all of that.
1: Houses of ill repute. My and house. It's the <laughs> Those guys get together. So the, the pimps and the gangsters and the, the beggars' union, they all get together. And the kind of the head guy, who I think I said before was like the most Aryan looking German guy ever. Yeah. Where, he wears like brown leather trench coat. Um, he is like, okay, guys, like we're getting all this pressure. We need to find this dude. We know he's not one of us. We need to find him. So it becomes kind of a, a race between the police and the the kind of undesirable society to find this guy first. And the police actually use detective work and they have the letters written and they know that the letters have been written on an uneven surface with a red pencil and they start kind of narrowing it down
0: Yeah, this is kind that of the, way. The, the early days of forensics. So they're kind of like, we're comparing fingerprints, and we're taking the letters to a handwriting expert, and we're doing all of this and doing all of that, and it's not getting us anywhere.
1: Oh, yeah, and then they they do records. They get the list of anybody who's been released from, was it a mental hospital?
0: Yeah, from anybody who's been released from an asylum or escaped from an asylum... Uh, and I guess if you got released, they had to keep track of you. So, you know, if you moved, you had to like, I am I am Hans. I moved into uh, number fifteen, Denmark yeah. Street, whatever.
1: Yeah, the cops find the boarding house where he's living, but he's already gone out. And the union of of beggars. They get kind of assigned to neighborhoods.
0: Yeah, and this so, is kind of the what the I this I think was probably one of my favorite parts. Whereas yeah. you know, like all all the groups, the pickpockets have a representative, and the burglars have a representative, and the the card sharks have a representative. And they go to this meeting, and while they're having this meeting to decide what they're going to do, the the camera cuts back and forth between the meeting of the leaders of the underworld. And the cops all trying to decide what yeah. they're going to do, and it's the the underworld, the the criminals who say, finally, like, who is, who who can follow this guy, without being suspicious, without getting noticed, like, well, it's the it's the beggars, it's the the vagabonds and the vagrants, the people who are out on the street who see everything, but are completely and totally invisible, and right. apparently. In Berlin in the thirties, if you wanted to be a beggar, you had to have a union card. Which I love it. That is I don't know if that's real, but I kind of hope it is.
1: <laughs> so I kinda think it might be.
0: They go and they say, Okay guys, we need your help. Cause this ain't helping you either. Because people are they're afraid to go out on the streets, so you're not getting any handouts or anything else like that. So the beggars show up at, you know, their their local union office and they, you know, here's my name, here's my number, and then they pick a block. They've got like a map of the city and they say, okay, you're going to do 5th to 7th Street only backyards. Right. Like, there's enough ba- beggars in the city that they can just do that.
1: Yeah, and, and you're right, though. So, like, I I love seeing kind of the back and forth because, I mean, it's strongly implied, although they don't come right out and say it, that, you know, if the cops get the guy, probably go back to a mental institution. But if the beggars get him, they're basically going to just take him out.
0: Yeah. Nope, then, nobody wants him on the streets, but the right. way they solve that problem is going to be different.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, so the, the beggars are all, you know assigned their quadrant and it shows our our bad guy hans walking out in the world and he spots a little girl in a shop window and this is actually pretty disturbing for me because he sees her and he has like a physical reaction to her they're, and they don't. I mean, nobody ever comes out and says like they do say like, yeah, he killed little girls. But like, they leave the the secondary part unspoken, which I appreciate. Um, yeah, we the, all know what it is.
0: The handwriting expert mentions it, but then they kind of decide that we, we, we can't really be sure. Uh, yeah, because of the, what he, the surface he's writing his notes on is not a flat surface. It's a old damp windowsill and the wood's not in great shape, so
2: Yeah.
1: They
0: can't just say, Oh, that's his handwriting, clearly.
1: Right. And and so, I mean he has like a physical reaction. Like kind of like if you set down a big ball of black tar heroin in front of a junkie. Like he has a he has a physical reaction to this little girl. And he kind of stares at her for a while and then some dude shows up and like it's her grandpa or whatever and he takes her away and then he goes to our our bad guy goes to like a cafe and orders like two glasses of alcohol and drinks them really quickly to kind of calm himself and then he he takes off and isn't that when he starts whistling again
0: so the whistling we need to talk about the whistling because yeah um our, our character Hans has been released from an asylum he's had some problems and apparently they think they've got him sorted out enough to let him back out into the public when he is with one of his victims is when he starts whistling in the hall of the mountain king and after he sees the reflection of the girl in the window and has his you know physical reaction to that he starts to whistle it a little bit grandpa comes, takes the little girl away he's like, oh my goodness I, what happened, what the heck was that he goes, sits down, has a couple of drinks, starts to whistle again, but a lot slower, not as much energy in the whistle, a lower pitch, it just sounds like he's tired and then he just kind of snaps back into it starts whistling again and goes off to find another victim at that point And it's kind of... Well, I mean, we're going to spoil it for you. Uh,
1: Spoiler alert from a movie from 900 years ago.
0: He's been in an asylum. He's got problems. His problem is that when he sees a little girl, he just is compelled. He cannot stop himself from killing them and the whistling is kind of the only real tell you get that he has relapsed because I mean his his appearance doesn't change his, his stature doesn't change his voice doesn't change it's just the whistle yeah and all the other time he's out walking around he used to be an actor so he's in his room like making faces at himself in the mirror nothing no problem no whistles never happens and um he leaves the little cafe. He's paid for his cognac. Yeah. Or, I
1: think it was like the strongest thing he he could get was cognac.
0: Yeah, he wanted coffee. He's like no, no coffee. With no, no with brandy.
1: Yeah, and, and this, then I think cognac.
0: The subtitle said brandy. He said cognac. So.
1: Oh,
2: okay.
1: I yeah, I, so I think he, it might
0: be German for brandy. <laughs>
1: I think so. So he leaves and then I think the next thing you see is the old, so the guy that sold him the balloon at the very beginning of the movie is blind. And that's how he makes a living is by selling balloons. And so the blind guy obviously didn't see, like, he didn't see anything, but he hears the whistle. And he grabs one of the other beggars and he says, like, that whistle, that whistle, that is bad. So the beggars start following him. And he's got the little girl holding her hand and he's, like, taking her around. and He's buying her candy and he's buying her fruit. And and they're following him block to block. So every time, like, the beggar will follow him for a couple blocks and then, like, tag. It's almost like a relay race. Like, they tag the next... Set of figures so the guy never knows who's being followed because it's always somebody different and they're just people that you wouldn't notice. And and meanwhile,
0: after we talked about it the first time, it kind of dawned on me that that's almost too, just in case they're wrong and they don't want to leave any sector. You know what I mean? They always have somebody everywhere. They trade off. Yeah,
1: that's true. I hadn't thought about
0: that. That's just brilliant.
1: That is brilliant. And they also um, so while that's happening, the cops are at his room in the boarding house that he lives in, and they're waiting for him because they found the the window sill where he wrote the letters. They found the cigarettes that he that they found at the crime scene, and they found red pencil safety. So they they're pretty sure it's him, and so they're waiting for him. Yeah, he wrote and all of his
0: notes in red he, pencils. We should we should mention that.
1: Yeah. And um, so the beggars, they don't want him to get away, and they want to make sure they mark him. So the one guy, and this is actually, I think, on the movie poster, is the guy with M written on his hand. Yep. One of the beggars takes a and writes the big letter M on his hand, and he walks up to the guy, and Pat, like, I think he pretends to bump into him, and he taps him on the back and leaves the big letter M on his back so the other beggars know
0: who he is. And, um, yeah, he kind of gets back to a couple of the other guys and says, that's the guy. I put an M on his back. You should be able to find him. Our, uh, group of beggars follow him. They follow him into an office building. He goes in and he, it's, there's a bank in it and they have, like, a storage vault. Uh, not just, like, a vault for money, but, like, you can put your old lamp in, yeah. in this little vault and he's hiding out in one of those uh, the buildings clo- and by the way some of the best I think cinematography in the whole movie in this point um, just the the framing and the staging of him realizing he's caught Yeah, because the little girl spots the M on his back and she's like oh you got something on you let me wipe it off for you and he turns and like, kind of peeks over his shoulder and sees it, and then he's like, "Uh uh-oh, somebody knows. And then he sees a guy who's just standing, you know, half a block away staring at him. He's like, "Uh uh-oh, this is bad.
1: Yeah, the jig is up at that point. And then
0: he's like, come on, little girl, we gotta go. And he grabs her arm, and she screams and runs off. And now he knows that jig is up. I am so busted. Goes and hides in this office building. Well, the beggars don't want to lose him, so they wait. They wait and they watch every exit to make sure he's not coming out. And if he comes out, they're going to follow him. Well, he doesn't come out. They lock up the building well, for the night. I
1: not he accidentally locked himself in.
0: I think he gets locked in. I think the like one of the night watchmen's like, "Why is that door open? That's weird." Oh, yeah. the door. Right. So now he's trapped in the building But now the beggars know where he is So they go back to The boss, the guy in the brown trench coat Like, we got him, he's in this building What do we do? And the boss says, we're gonna search Room by room Till we find him So they bust in They tie up a couple Of security guards, one guy steals Their uniform so he can still pretend He's like outside doing the rounds And uh there goes another. Oh, that was Facebook that time. Thanks. I don't care that somebody put something for sale. <laughs> Thanks, Facebook. That's very helpful. Anyway, we'll we'll have a better method to do this later. Um, so they're just searching room by room. They bring the burglars. They bring the lock picks. They bring everybody, and they just you know start at the top, work their way down, kind of a thing and eventually right. they do end up finding him but there's a problem there's always a problem the problem is that they have to check in at the alarm every 45 <laughs> minutes, every hour or it's just going to go off I'm like uh oh the guard's I thought not that
1: there that was really cool
0: so and it just amazingly how organized these guys are so Hans, Peter Laurie. He's locked himself in. He's trying to get out. He's like trying to take the screws off the door with his knife, and his knife breaks. And he's trying to make a key out of a nail by tapping it on the ground. And one guy hears it, and he goes and he listens real close to the door. He's like, oh, "I found him! I found him! Oh my god, I found him! I gotta go tell everybody!" And he starts taking off down the hallway. Then he stops. He comes back, and he puts the key in the clock so it buys him the hour. Then he goes and gets everybody.
1: Yeah.
0: And they go through the hole, I mean, they bust in, they find him, and they say, well, we can't deal with him here. Let's get out of here. Because unfortunately, while the guy who found him was telling everybody he found him, the one guard that wasn't knocked out pulled the alarm. Yeah. So now they got to get out of there before the cops show up. And the way they handled that whole situation... Everybody's starting to panic, and the guy's like, oh, hold on. Got five minutes. Get your stuff together. We're getting out of here. Five minutes. Yeah. Don't waste time. Go.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, professional criminals, I
0: suppose. And he's just like, an update. You got three minutes. You got two minutes. You got one minute. We got to go now. Yeah. Unfortunately in the rush to get everybody out of there they leave a guy um, he was trying to bust into a bank office and he said don't go through the door I know for a fact that there's an alarm on that door he's like well how am I going to get in you're going to go through the ceiling on the floor above so the dude had to drill a hole through what looked to be about six inches of concrete yeah dropped a ladder down And then after everybody else is gone, it just kind of cuts back. And you see the hole. And the guy's like, hey. Hello? Who's the idiot who dropped the ladder? (laughs) And then the ladder gets thrown down the hole. And he's like, ah, finally. Thank goodness. You guys don't know. And then he crawls up the ladder. And, of course, it's the cops. And this, this movie is not without its humor. There are a couple no, of lines. it
1: definitely has its moments.
0: So he crawls up through the little hole. The whole building is just demolished because they've busted up other doors. They've rifled through everything. Uh, the little storage units are all torn pieces. There's a hole in the floor. And, and he's the only one in the building. And I think he says, Believe it or not, I'm innocent. <laughs> They they haul him back to police headquarters and they're saying, "All right, look, we know you're looking for somebody. One of the security guards told us. Who was it?" And he's like, "I don't know what you're talking about. I got no idea." And he's doing this to buy everybody else time to get Hans back to basically. the underground city hall, they're going to put him on trial.
1: Essentially a good way to put that.
0: I I couldn't think of a better way to say it.
1: I would say accurate, yeah. So they, uh, well, they, they torture him. I mean, they don't show it. Just like Jason said, it's not really a violent movie. But they imply that they kind of you know, are a little heavy-handed with this guy to find out where they are taking Hans. And meanwhile, they have taken Hans to this tribunal. Germans love their tribunal. So he is taken into this room and the door opens, and this is a great shot. The door opens and it is literally just kind of a sea of people who are all the beggars and thieves who we found out were a lot of them actual criminals that put playing hired to the be extras because how many did they say got arrested during filming four
0: 24.
1: oh 24. <laughs> so it's the sea of of uh of kind of uh not faces you see at church every Sunday. I guess I should say they're
0: they're real and faces. I mean, if if this were a western, it would be a spaghetti western because of the extras. Yes,
1: they are not they are not pretty or well kept, and it's just this see. And when he realizes he there's a like maybe six or ten of them sitting at a table, like you know a jury trial or something, and he realizes pretty quickly what's about to happen, and so he panics. And he he tries to you know run away, and he gets thrown down the stairs, which I'm surprised he didn't break his neck because they really throw him down the freaking stairs.
0: Yeah, some of the other trivia was um, let me find the exact thing here. Uh, Peter Laurie actually didn't like it didn't didn't like working with Fritz Lang so much that. After this movie, he wasn't in any of his other films because of the way he <laughs> felt like he was treated.
1: Yeah, um, he he pulled the Kurosawa thing where it's like, you know, I'm gonna shoot real arrows at people. Like, first playing like, really had these people like manhandle Peter Lorre.
0: Which, you know, at the time, who cares? It's Peter Lorre. This is like his third movie, he's 28, <laughs> years old.
1: So, they take him and they basically say, like, we're going to have a trial. And because we know that... Oh, and he... At this point, he starts begging to be turned over to the
2: police.
0: Yeah, because uh, the cops aren't going to just kill him.
1: No. And the... Um, the the tribunal, if you will, they say, yeah, we're not turning over to the police. Because what they'll do is they'll you in an insane asylum you'll plead guilty or not guilty by reason of insanity or whatever the German equivalent is, and you'll either get let out or you'll escape and then you have to do it again. And so they actually have a lawyer who's like one of them, who's like a drunkard beggar guy, and they, he needs to put up a defense. And the climax of the entire film is Peter Lorre gives a, oh, a good five minute impassioned speech where he basically says that he cannot help it that it overcomes him that he is powerless against whatever this urge is do the things that he does um i actually
0: have all of the text here it's in the quotes section on imdb yeah uh and i i won't do the whole thing
2: (laughs) thank you
1: (laughs) but
0: uh he starts i can't help what i do i can't help it one of the people in the court says, The old story, we never can help it in court. And Hans says, What do you know about it? Who are you anyway? Who are you? Criminals? Are you proud of yourselves? Proud of breaking safes or cheating at cards? Things you could just as well keep your fingers off of. You wouldn't need to do all that if you'd learn a proper trade or if you'd work. If you weren't a bunch of lazy bastards. But I... I can't help myself. I have no Ever. control over this. This evil thing inside me. The fire, the voices, the torment. And then our uh, leather coat guy says, Do you mean to say that you have to murder? And then he goes on. So We'll skip that. Save it for you who want to watch the movie.
1: Yeah, and you know, I don't know. We could get into... I don't know. We could maybe get into whether that's true or not. But, um, you know, he says, like, that he's followed around by the ghosts of the children that he's murdered and their mothers. And the only thing that basically stops it is when he kills again because he almost, like, blacks out. He says, I don't remember anything. And it's only when. I see the papers the next day or I see the posters that I know I've done it.
0: And then he says, you know, who would believe me if I said that? Nobody would believe me.
2: Right.
1: So, um, you know, his his lawyer actually says, like, Well there you have it, there's the defense. You can't help it and the kind of the head guy, the Aryan looking guy, is like, Yeah, that's crap and he's like, Well, you're wanted for three murders so, you know, what's the difference? And the guy's like, well, of course there's a difference. But, you know, and then it's at that moment where you're pretty sure that they're about to, quote unquote, convict him, string him up.
0: Yeah, the mob has lost all patience with the trial.
1: Yeah. And there is another, you know, fantastic shot of over the shoulder. So, over Peter Laurie's shoulder, facing the tribunal, waiting to learn his fate. And one by one, the people in the tribunal, this huge crowd of people, start lifting their hands up. And,
2: and
0: that was a little it, silly to me.
1: It was. It's a little much.
0: Like, how many cops were there? Much.
1: Yeah. Because if there's like yeah. three,
0: even if it was a quarter of how many of you were down there, you could take them
1: right and none of them are going to try to run away they're all just going to put their hands up
2: Yeah.
1: so they all put their hands up and then you see the the long arm of the law reach out and grab Peter Lorre because he doesn't know he's just looking at this group of people that were about to kill him and all of a sudden they're sticking their arms up in the air like crazy people and he feels the hand on his shoulder and he realizes
0: and that's, that's a recurring theme throughout the movie, the hand on the shoulder. It happens several times. Yeah. It's it's the hand on the shoulder that marks him as the murderer, True. but it's also, and it's not like a, a reach out and grasp and, you know, yank him back like you would probably get in a movie today. It's a, It's just a hand out and just gentle grab on the shoulder to be like, you're alright, but you're coming with us.
1: Right. And that's, I mean, that's essentially the end. Uh, There's a a one final scene in a courtroom, and it primarily focuses on some weeping mothers of dead children.
0: Yep, the shot actually, if I remember right, it's a shot of the, the underground tribunal that just fades into the actual court. And it's, like, the same table, same number of judges and everything. If yeah, and,
1: right. then, and then the one mother says something.
0: I have that quote here. Uh, this line attributed to grieving mother. She says, this won't bring back our children. One needs to keep closer watch over our children. And And
1: it's supposed to be, you know...
0: That's not the whole line. There's a line in there as well. It's like, the state needs to keep watch out as well.
1: Yeah. It's both literal and metaphorical. Apparently, Fritz Lang was trying to make a a moral point about protecting your children.
0: And probably also also about insanity.
1: Well, well, exactly. Um, so he was making the point, like a literal point of, you know, keep an eye out for your kids, but also, you know, about society as a whole. Uh, so this, uh, Lang considered MC his favorite of his own films because of the social criticism in the film. In 1937, he told a reporter that he made the film to warn mothers about neglecting children.
0: Right there. I found the um, stare a bit. Fritz Lang's cruelty to actors was legendary. Peter Lorre was thrown down the stairs into the cellar over a dozen times. When Lang wanted to hire Lorre for Human Desire in 1954, over two decades later, Peter Lorre refused. And seeing him, and I think you made the comment last time, seeing him get pushed down the stairs, you thought he was going to fall. I thought he was going to fall. Yeah. Uh, here we go. Uh, the film is supposedly based on the real-life case of serial killer Peter Curtin, called The Vampire of Dusseldorf, whose crimes in the 1920s horrified Germany. However, Fritz Lang has expressly denied that he drew any inspiration from the case. Nevertheless, here and his wife, Thea von Harbaugh, researched the crimes carefully, consulting with German police, visiting murder scenes, interviewing sex offenders in prison, and even talking to detectives in Scotland Yard in London. According to Lang biographer Paul Jensen, the director spent eight days doing field research in a mental institution. So, interestingly enough, uh,
2: so,
1: Heather King's power in 33... Uh, and Fritz Lang uh, was worried that because of kind of the, the rise of the Nazis, that he could be in trouble because he, his mother was actually Jewish, even though she had converted to Roman Catholicism and he was raised as a Roman Catholic. But his wife, Lia von Harbaugh, who wrote, who co-wrote this movie, actually was a Nazi sympathizer and joined the National Socialist Democratic Party in 1940 and they divorced uh
0: good call pete
1: so he he left and uh miss paris and and then after paris got the hell out he was smart but technically under the nuremberg laws he would have been identified as a as a jew and it says that um his movie the testament of dr mabuse yeah uh uh, Joseph Goebbels actually called him to his office to let him know that that movie was being banned, but that he was so impressed by him because he made a super-duper famous movie called Metropolis, which we are also going to watch. Heck yeah. Uh, of which most science fiction films ever can be uh, credited back to Metropolis. He offered Fritz Lang a position as the head of a German film studio. And he was so freaked out that he fled Germany that very evening. So, and then so he moved to Paris and then he moved to the United States in 1936. Um, but I just think that's really interesting because, you know, you hear a lot about German filmmakers in like the 30s like the 20s and 30s, and how they were all super revolutionary. But a lot of their stuff doesn't necessarily translate to America because a lot of them ended up working for the Nazis. Yeah. And and so we don't, we don't those are the ones we don't talk about. <laughs> um, and the fact that his wife like, was a Nazi sympathizer is kind of a bummer.
0: Speaking of the Nazis, everybody's favorite group of people they banned the movie in
1: 1934 oh I
0: believe it Uh, they said yeah mm, no don't think so and actually looking through the trivia here the organization of beggars actually did exist in Berlin in the 30s
2: there
0: we go apparently MGM I, I love this trivia stuff this is my favorite I think MGM studio executive Irving Thalberg assembled his writers and directors for a private screening of the film, telling them that if that they needed to be making films of this power and caliber. He also admitted that if anyone brought a story of a child killer to him, he would reject it. Hmm. So, there you go. Uh, also, apparently, Peter Lorre was really happy to be cast in a dramatic role, but was really upset because after that people started to associate him with being a child killer in real life.
1: Interesting.
0: Poor Peter Laurie.
1: Yeah. So this, uh, the Academy uh, Film Archive has preserved a number of first-playing films, including Human Desire, Manhunt, and The Art Director.
0: You will probably watch most of those.
1: Oh, man. I mean, it's not that I... If I'm gonna pick a movie, probably not gonna be a black and white German film from the 30s. Like, I get that it's film history and everything, but man, that was rough. Oh. It was really good, and it was it was it was so interesting to watch, and the it's just beautifully shot. But. Oh. Um.
0: Before we wrap up and give our uh, take on the film. Uh, there is one bit of trivia that I didn't mention, and this is not M trivia, this is Peter Laurie trivia. According to our good buddy Vinny Price, you might know him from such movies as Alice Cooper's Black Widow, which was not mm-hmm. a movie. Uh, Vincent Price said that when he and Peter Laurie went to view Bella Lugosi's body, during his funeral, Lori, upon seeing Lugosi dressed in his famous Dracula cape, quipped, which is a word I think we need to use more often, quipped, do you think we should drive a stake through his heart just in case? (laughs) That's the kind of guy I want to hang out with.
2: Absolutely.
0: Oh, he's also apparently the very first James Bond villain. 1954 version of Casino Royale on TV. Really? Yeah. So, um eh. what what give it out
1: of 10?
0: I gave this a 9.
1: I don't think that's what you said
0: last time. It has to be because that's what IMDb saved my rating.
1: Oh, I gave
0: it an 8.5. I gave it a very solid 9 because I, I liked the script. I liked the cinematography. I liked the direction. I liked the story and the way it was presented. Um, I liked the casting. The casting was really good. I mean I of all the people in the film I only know Peter Laurie but nobody looked to be miscast.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, I mean everybody just worked. And and there's a reason that when people talk about really good directors from the 30s and 40s they talk about people like Fritz Lang. I mean it's definitely it's
1: definitely a work of art
2: absolutely
0: and uh, next time next time is last time because I already watched the movie uh, but what are what are you watching next
1: well I've seen this movie a bajillion bajillion times but we are watching uh, Bridge on the River Kwai
0: I'll bet that has something to do with a bridge
1: Does Oh so starring
0: Obi-Wan Kenobi Uh, his name is Alec Guinness thank you very much
1: or old Ben Kenobi if you will
0: Uh, secondary billing on this one oddly enough William Holden got top billing yes William Holden pretty good actor so is Alec Guinness though this is the kind of movie I don't know if anybody knows this Alec Guinness was really not happy with being in Star Wars but I think he needed a paycheck Probably. Uh, I think I think he said something along the lines of it was just some silly, stupid thing he did. He wanted to be doing movies like this and Lawrence of Arabia. And I think he was. Well, in...
1: we'll get into that more when we watch it because
0: I have much to say. Uh, Lawrence of oh. Arabia?
1: Uh, no, Bridge on the River Oh
0: well, yeah. <coughs> Well, uh, as soon as you watch it, we can record it because I've already watched it.
1: Uh, I'll probably watch it this before.
0: And then I watched Death Machines. Yep. Yeah. You know, there's in an old George Carlin bit, he he would talk about like flipping through TV and all the different things you'd see on TV, and then he apparently whatever channel he kept flipping across it was the Montel Williams show 24-7 365 and he would say you'd flip through this and you'd flip through this and there'd be some stupid ball game and you'd see some stupid thing here and some stupid thing here and then you go to the next channel and you would see the Montel Williams show and he said it like that every single time the Montel Williams show that's how I feel about the movie Death Machines Death Machines. Oh, yeah? I died a little bit watching that movie.
1: Well, you did watch a movie with that title. like You
0: kind of had it coming. But it could have been amazing. And yet? It could have been great. It could have been Omega Doom.
1: Which is a terrible movie. That is a
0: fantastic movie. You shut your mouth.
1: Um... So, yeah, we will uh, watch that and uh, hopefully, well, no, I guess we'll be recording it on the phone because I won't see you again until after that, right?
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll get something better set up so we can, I haven't had any more alerts, which is good, but I'll get something set up so we don't have the noise.
1: Well, I didn't hear it. I don't know if the people at home did. I didn't.
0: Yeah, it comes out of the phone into the board, so. Oh, okay. Sorry again, folks. Uh, We'll watch um, Bridge on the River Kwai. We'll talk about it next week. Thanks for listening, folks.
1: Thanks, guys.
0: Bye. Bye. Well, I mean, you know, it's the end of the show. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found it informative, entertaining, edutainment, perhaps. As always, be on the lookout for more next week. And don't forget to look up the show on Facebook and Twitter, uh, since we're all over the place now. And
3: uh, yeah.
0: thanks for listening, and thanks for all the AIDS.
3: Miles is glistening. You can't hear shit for the whistling above all the people. Uh, An undead beetle, a had transplant, and a junkie. What? Come friendly bombs right up keen, and anyone that's ever been like, featured in the anime, and that includes me. See the World Bank don't do shit for free. So I read that drop, treat, they see thee, and thee, oh they, and they own thee. So they got all you want, mate, yeah, they decide you've got You can't turn piss into wine, you can't rub pennies in the wound and expect it to be fine. There are no diamonds in the mines. Teeth so I'm top of the past singing. Thanks for all the AIDS, and the bums and the nuns, and the guns and the bombs on the trains. Thanks for all the AIDS, and the floods and the bloods and the drugs, and the banning all the race. Thanks for all the AIDS, and the Asian flu, and for you, and for making us slaves. Thanks for all the AIDS. I'll pray for me, Methodist, cause I fear the ratchet. Coming at you like Cleopatra oh, You can never capture the Donovan stature I'm evil on the mate like Margaret Thatcher Luke made you look bombs like a nook I'm truer than the gospel according to my mate Luke says is Isaiah That this guy God wants to kill you if you're queer Or if you're a Jew or you're an Arab A minor in a hole Or if you are a dog because you haven't got a soul Or if you are a dead baby <laughs> You should count your stones and see how lucky you are So if your kids are better than you are 12 times worse than the worst crack, Hello, I can say this because I'm sure you ain't shit. We've been advised to quit, but we ain't taking a piss when we say thanks for all the AIDS, and the bombs, and the guns, and the guns, and the, guns and the, bombs, and the bombs on the trains. Thanks for all the AIDS, and the lives, and the wives, of the guys who be dying in spades. Thanks for all the AIDS, and the crap TV, and for me, and for bringing on the plague. Thanks for all the AIDS. One more fucking time. i